You see that B2C brands or digitally native brands, they started out as e-commerce only, then they started opening their own stores, and now you might see them selling you know, on the floor at Nordstrom's or within marketplaces. And so definitely the first major kind of strategy for growth is to continue to expand your distribution channels really important that you tell your story, right? You have to actually have enough real estate to convince somebody to buy your product. And that's why we have a lot of fashion clients in the mail. Customer data is the most important data, the most important asset to a company. Um, and a lot of times, you know, when we start working with a brand, honestly, you know, the D2C brands, because they've been so focused on email or so focused on SMS, they don't really understand the importance of that entire customer record. So on today's episode, we're going to find out why consumer brands that are targeting affluent consumers seem to be having a better ride over this economic downturn. It's a great episode. You do not want to miss, so do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. And Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear firsthand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. As you continue to grow your e-commerce business, access to growth capital would increasingly play a significant role in achieving and surpassing your financial and social goals. Why should you give up equity or pay high interest rates to grow your business? There is a new way to access growth capital that transforms e-commerce businesses. Wayflyer has shaken the way e-commerce operators access working capital. With a dedication to only D2C e-commerce businesses, Wayflyer will fund you on a fairer fund-as-you-grow model, meaning if your sales slow down, so does the amount you transfer back. There's just a simple fee and the funds you need to grow are deposited to your account instantly. It's worth checking out on wayflyer.com. That's W-A-Y-F-L-Y-E-R. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Access to the 2X e-commerce podcast. I'm your host, Kunle Campbell. The 2X e-commerce podcast show is dedicated to digital commerce insights for retail and e-commerce teams. So each week on this podcast, we interview either a commerce expert, a founder at a digital native consumer brand, or a representative from a best-in-class SaaS product with a tight remit. Now, our tight remit is, guest, can you give you listeners just a test, an idea they could go with right away with their brand, test over the next 90 days, come back and see if it works or not. So they can grow metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, their audience size, or ultimately their gross merchant value or sales. And if they can, we bring them onto the show. So essentially, I put this podcast for one mission, which is to help you listeners sell more sustainably. That is why I come here and I turn up every week to you know, showcase the guests who come. And moving forward, I will be doing more solo shows to reflect my day-to-day -day in 
managing e-commerce brands, in working with e-commerce brands, in speaking and interacting with other e-commerce operators. So you get insights, essentially. I'm here, essentially, my purpose, my, my dharma, as you know, people allude to, is to help you sell sustainably, you know, essentially. Now, speaking of which, on today's episode, I, I, it was like a curveball. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I had read her profile initially, Polly Wong. She's the president at Belradi Wong. And my thoughts about Belradi Wong, I'm, I'm just looking through their website and my, for my conversation with her is like, let's say you have a fantastic direct-to-consumer e-commerce business and you've raised capital in Silicon Valley, essentially. Belradi Wong are the agencies, the likes of Allbirds, Hawker, On Running, Birkenstock, Burton, Crate and Barrel, Blue Dot, American Giant, Bock Mason, Back Country, and the like. So you, you do get it. They are essentially brands that, high touch brands that cater to the affluent consumer. And she just offered some very, very interesting insights. Yes, everybody's suffering from the meta amagadion due to the iOS 14 issues. But these best-in-class brands working with affluent customers or consumers are doing stuff differently. They're, doing, they're, they're taking channel marketing differently. They're taking marketing differently. They're embracing offline marketing. And um, she, she gave me some really ninja stuff like direct mail, what they're doing with direct mail and how they're using multiple channels to mitigate the loss from Meta. And then we ended up on a conversation I really loved, which is all around customer data. So if you want to sort of get a glimpse into how affluent brands are thriving now, she's still seeing growth. She's not seeing a decline across the brands that they manage. 400 brands. If you're looking to, if you want to look into the hood of, you know, brands that are still growing amidst, you know, what is going on, the, 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 the economic climate, this is an episode you do not want to miss. You want to listen to the entire 40-minute conversation I had with Polly. Um, and if you're listening to this before or after our upcoming virtual conference called Commerce Excel, she's going to be there. Um, you may be able to get re replays. Um, you will be able to get replays after the event. And um, you'd also be able to um, you'd also be able to 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 watch it live if you're if if this airs before it. This is likely not to air before our event, but you should be able to get replay. She's going to be in one of the panels at the event. So enjoy this episode. Um, really, really enjoyed it. She's a very mature um, you know marketer. I mean, we're talking twenty four years in the industry. And it, it's been largely in, in, in digital, you know, where she started at um, Eddie Boa. Um, and, and then um, she, she moved on to, to several other um, roles in, in more digital native or uh, the, the digital native versions of offline brands. So, yeah, terrific episode. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Enjoy. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Non, and Chobbies. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Hey, Polly, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. Um, it's, it's an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So 
when I read your your backstory and what you guys are doing in Belradi Wong, I was like super impressed. I was blown away. I mean, you guys are working with like 400 you know, consumer brands, essentially, whether they're digital native or, you know, traditional consumer brands, they're top notch, you know, top, top of the cream, top of the crop, essentially, you know, brands. Should we Thank just you. go I back? I appreciate that. No, We're no, very no. privileged to work with so many great brands. Fantastic. And, and, and it, it boils down to, to you, the leader and, and the team you've put together. And I really want to know more about your background, Polly. Um, you know, where did you grow up? Um, where did you study and how did you get into marketing? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't get that asked too often. You know, I, I really actually lived around the country um, as a child. My parents have adventurous spirit, spirits. And so we, uh, we lived a lot of places, but uh, I graduated uh, from high school in Seattle. And I went to the University of Washington, which is an amazing school. The Pacific Northwest is absolutely beautiful. Uh, and I actually planned to go into the uh, School of Journalism at the University of Washington. And it shut down in the fall that I was starting school there. And so I actually was an English literature major in my undergrad and I graduated from college and I thought, well, what can I do? And I thought, well, I can write anything because that's basically you spend a couple of years writing reports. So I actually got a job in PR, uh, which is how I started my career in marketing 25 years ago. I actually got a job at Evans Group in Seattle, uh, which is now became over the years publicist. So uh, just an amazing start to marketing. And then from there, I was very lucky. Eddie Bauer is an amazing heritage brand out of the Seattle area. And I actually uh, went from PR uh, to EddieBauer.com, where early years, so this is probably, you know, 1999 uh, in the early years. And and EddieBauer.com was actually very, uh, won a lot of awards back then for being kind of an early leader in the online space. And so from there, I I moved to San Francisco, uh, was recruited to Williams Sonoma Inc. and worked across all seven brands. Uh, in digital and print. Uh, and that's how I also got my feet wet uh, in offline marketing. And then, you know, my husband called me one day from business school and he said, I got the opportunity of a lifetime in New York City. And I just thought, wow, okay, you know. And so we decided to pack up and move to New York. And I interviewed, you know, with all of the brands in New York, you know, the J. Cruz of the world. And, you know, it was always a little bit, uh, the corporate side for me was always a little bit, uh, you know, uh, square peg, round hole. And so um, I was actually a client of Bellardi Astra. I was a client of the company. Uh, and when I was at Williams Sonoma Inc., um, and the partners there, Donna and Andy, said, why don't you jump ship to the dark side and come join us at our agency? Uh, basically, if you can build it, you can have it. So here we are uh, today. I'm very, very lucky to, to be the president of Bellardi One. Fantastic. And how long have you been president for? Oh, probably four or five years at this point. Mm. Time flies when you're having fun. It does indeed. It does indeed. So, so could you describe the the team structure? You know, how, how many people do you have to, to manage? How many people under your wing? Um, and, and what kind of brands? And, you know, how many, what's, what's your clientele, you know, like? Sure. What do you guys do? Sure. So we have about 100 uh, staff members here at Bilardi Wong, really kind of rolling up into... Um, eight vice presidents who all have kind of an amazing pedigree, if you will. For example, the last VP we hired was the VP of marketing at Pottery Barn for years. Um, so just an amazing caliber team. We have a lot of staff members. Probably half of our staff have actually worked on the client side, which is important to us so they understand clients. Um, we are really experts in you know online marketing, offline uh, marketing, analytics. Uh, we have an award-winning creative team. Uh, we do a lot of special engagements, uh, like working with private equity firms on their due diligence for transactions. So we just have an incredible amount of experience. And we are, as you said, you know, it's a privilege every day for us to work with so many amazing brands. You know, we work with footwear brands like Allbirds and Birkenstocks and Hoka. We work with fashion brands like Anthropology and Francis Valentine and Claire V and Johnny Was and you know, great men's brands like Buck Mike Mason and Todd Snyder. And then we actually have a huge amount of market share in home decor and furnishings, you know, working with amazing brands like uh, Serena and Lily and Lulu and Georgia and Mitchell Gold, Bob Williams, and just a number, dozens of others. So we're we're very lucky to have just an, an amazing vantage point into the industry here. Interesting. Are your campaigns um, national? So um, do they focus exclusively 
in the United States and North America, or um, do, do they sort of extend, um, you know, across the, the pond or to, to, to Europe? Definitely most of the marketing focus is domestic here in the U.S., extending into Canada. Um, we don't really market overseas in Europe. We have a lot of brands that we work with from Europe to help drive their U.S. business, uh, but we don't uh, ourselves uh, cross the cross the ocean in terms of our expertise. Okay, and then over the years, as in up until the run up to to to, to now, while we're speaking in twenty twenty two. What's been kind of like the mix, the media mix of, um, you know, offline and, um, and digital? How, how's this, how, how, do you, how, how do you balance it out since you, you cover both sides of um, yeah. the, the marketing spectrum? Well, as I'm sure you know, you know, traditional retailers have always had um, a, a much kind of larger marketing toolbox, you know, leveraging radio and print and TV and digital and kind of every single channel. D2C brands, you know, over the years have primarily built their businesses on the Meta and Google platforms. And so I think what's really been interesting is to watch how D2C brands and retailers are pivoting their marketing mix kind of based on the headwinds in front of us. You know, digital marketing is unfortunately becoming extremely competitive and saturated and promotional and expensive. And so you know, how do you pivot away from that? Um, pretty much universally, our clients have had challenges with the meta platform in the last year um, after the Apple changes, you know, platform changes rolled out. And so, you know, how do they expand their marketing mix? And so we see really that there's, you know, probably six or seven, you know, major marketing channels today. You know, you still have email and SMS and social and search. Direct mail and catalogs are also having a huge resurgence. And then we still have a lot of clients doing out of home, you know, whether it's taking over a subway shelter or billboards or what have you. So um, we pretty we see a pretty diverse marketing mix. Our most sophisticated clients or our most sophisticated marketers definitely understand that in order to drive the business, you really have to have a marketing mix across all channels. Because just going into your most sophisticated clients, um, there'll be essentially just broad stroking this two two categories. There'll be traditional consumer brands that started, you know, offline, and then there'll be digital native, you know, consumer brands. What are the, what, what's the anatomy, the current anatomy of a, a thriving, you know, digital native consumer brand from um, yeah. Radi's perspective? So, yeah, so there's really kind of four ma- major growth strategies that we see D2C brands kind of um, embracing in order to be successful and to, you know, combat all of the headwinds out there. Uh, the first major growth strategy is definitely increasing distribution channels. So you see that D2C brands or digitally native brands, they started out as e-commerce only, then they started opening their own stores. And now you might see them selling, you know, on the floor at Nordstrom's or within marketplaces. And so definitely the first major kind of strategy for growth is to continue to expand your distribution channels really in every single category, more than 50% of sales are still in physical stores. Physical stores are very expensive. You know, we see much more conservative store opening plans kind of post-pandemic, but that means what what we see brands doing, like you see all birds on the floor at Nordstrom's, right? You know, how do you leverage as many distribution channels as possible? The second major growth strategy is expanding your product assortment. You know, I always say that uh, there are two things I I learned in my years at Williams-Sonoma. Uh, the first thing I learned uh, is that the best way to drive response rates is to have a range of product across categories and price points. And the range is very, very important. I think it's kind of misleading. You know, a lot of DDC brands, they started with a very narrow, you know, assortment, you know, one shoe and four colors. Um, that's, you know, having been in retail for 25 years, that's really not a path to long-term sustainable growth to profitable growth, Right. Um, you have to give your existing customers more and more product to buy from you. So definitely the second major growth strategy kind of being expanding product assortments. You've seen a lot of the soft goods, bedding brands launch into loungewear. You see a lot of apparel brands expand into home. And we're kind of seeing that across the board. And then the third uh, major growth strategy is absolutely um, activating more marketing channels. So as Meta has declined performance, we've got clients leaning into TikTok leaning into connected TV. Um, and absolutely, as I said earlier, there's been a huge resurgence in direct mail and catalogs. So 
uh, we see really quite a diverse marketing mix. And that's kind of the third major strategy is, is activating um, all of those channels. Interesting, interesting. Um, speaking to your second point um, around, um, you know, um, assortments, you know, product ass- assortment, um, how do they strike a balance um, operationally from, from not running out of stock um, or overstocking, essentially, um, as they continue to, um, you know, expand, you know, product, exp- uh, you know, assortment? That is, you know, there are things that digitally native brands have been very good at. And then there are some areas now that they need to learn uh, in order to continue to be successful. And definitely inventory management or inventory planning some of, honestly, the more traditional kind of retail disciplines, we do absolutely see a need to understand, you know, how much product to buy, when to flow it in, um, you know, how to successfully restock product. There's actually a lot of really, I think, important um, kind of fundamentals around inventory management and planning that definitely need to see brands need to bring that expertise in-house in order to really uh, be able to make sure that they they have the product they need. And actually even product development, you know, having someone really experienced merchants who know how to really build out a really strong assortment. So um, we can't not speak about the economic downturn in 2022, you know, um, particularly in, in retail. Um, what what trends with 400 clients under your belt and you know you 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 working with private equity you know on digital due diligence and digi- diligence and you know brands what um what trends are you seeing what macro trends are you seeing um affecting um you know, just digital retail or digital retailers yeah yeah you know definitely one of the major challenges is that the the rate of growth is slowing right so if you were a d2c brand or a specialty brand especially if you were in a certain category like home uh, or sporting goods you know you had an incredible two years and if you were targeting an affluent consumer affluent consumers you know were at home and having just you know having a heyday online and spending a lot of money so you basically have a situation where, you know, you always have to grow, right? Nobody, investors, uh, there's never an easy answer that says, oh, we're not going to keep growing. And so how do you continue to comp those numbers? And we are seeing that the rate of growth is slowing. It depends on the category. It depends, you know, on the target consumer. Uh, Definitely, I think, you know, we're going to see that uh, some of the, the financial or economic softness that we're seeing right now unfortunately, will impact low to mid-ticket consumers more than it will impact, you know, more affluent consumers. Um, You know, we do tend to work with more high-ticket fashion, high-ticket home brands. And, you know, the consumers, you know, for right or wrong, who buy $300 sweaters are not going to be as financially impacted. So I think, you know, looking ahead um, in terms of the retail sales performance, I think it really depends on which category you're in and which you know, consumer, target consumer you're trying to focus on. Uh, definitely, we're seeing more strength and more growth in apparel, accessories, and footwear. The home category is just, you know, seeing about single-digit growth over the last two incredible years. And so, like I said, if you're in a few categories like home or sporting goods, you're going to have a hard time comping um, and having, you know, significant growth on top of the last two years. I guess it's, it's just due to the pandemic. Everybody's returning back to to the office, and you don't really need that um, volleyball kit in your in your garden or yeah. you know garden sets, right? One of the things we absolutely saw universally was that Q two was very soft, actually, for all of our clients. It was soft regardless of the category, regardless of the channel, and regardless of the target consumer. We just saw this incredible universal impact, really what I kind of refer to as the start of the spring break season. So actually early Q1 was very strong for most of our clients, but clear as day starting in mid-March with the start of spring break season, we've just seen an incredible amount of competition for wallet share. We're seeing competition for wallet share from services and experiences, restaurants, travel, um, I'm sure you've you know seen a lot of that and read a lot about that, but we absolutely saw that clear as day. Um, and then you know this summer I think has just been okay for most of our clients, but I think it's very easy to forget that prior to the pandemic, really you kind of experienced you know traditional summer sales seasonality 
where, you know, by the time you get to July, you're clearing through your spring summer product. It's a sale liquidation period. It's not historically a really important time, you know, in the heart of summer uh, for retail. So I think the question is with all the headwinds, you know, what to expect now that Labor Day is behind us, because for us, Labor Day really is that moment in time where we expect fall fashion to pick up. Um, right now, the heat wave does not help. You know, 40 million households in the U.S. having an extreme heat wave, that's not going to help sell sweaters and jeans and, and boots and jackets. So um, I'm a little worried. I actually think September is not going to be quite what we hope it will be if we're going to start off with this kind of heat wave, uh, which will keep people from buying fall product. Uh, but overall, I think that there's still a chance that the back half of the year could actually be quite strong. Yeah, it might be an opportunity to push back these sales into Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So, um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? It really is, is down I, to I think one of the risks is that I'm sure you've also read just as the rest of us and seen the huge promotional uh, discounts and markdowns happening at um, big box retail. Uh, you know, like the Target and Walmarts of the world. And so it'll be really interesting to see if D2C brands, you know, if we start off fall a little soft because of the seasonality and because of the heat and people aren't ready to buy fall products, will the strain on hitting sales targets combined with the competition for wallet share from all of the big discounts at the big box retailers, will that put enough pressure on specialty brands to be more promotional than they historically like to be? And will that lead to, you know, potentially a negative, you know, business impact, certainly a margin hit. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, and I guess it's also down to timing, you know, from, from the marketing teams to take that, um, to make that decision, really, um, you know, when it comes to, to, to making the offers if they need to. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R. GIAS.com and mention 2x e-commerce podcast for two months free. That is gorgeous.com for two months free. Just mention 2x e-commerce. 
Okay, interesting. And, and I also wanted to make a point around, um, you know, COVID being um, like the perfect storm. So the reopening, you know, being the perfect perfect storm for for D two C, you know, um, brands. Just speaking to your first point around people returning to retail spaces or to 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 experiences, essentially, to wanting to, you know, um, you know, get into you know experiences and the need to be within those experiences. So to, the need to be in a Nordstrom or to be in, in a retail environment is ever so important. You can't just sit on digital anymore. You have to, you know, um, start to look um, at offline channels to, to be part of, you know, that customer journey, essentially. Absolutely. I mean, as I think we were talking about earlier, you know, you still have over 50% of apparel sales in physical stores. You still have over 60% of furniture sales in physical stores. You know, the reality is, is if you aren't finding a way, whether it's through your own stores or through uh, the floor at Nordstrom's or Anthropology uh, to build, you know, your distribution channels, you're essentially missing out, you know, from the get go on, you know, more than half um, of the market share. Uh, so it's really important to be kind of where the consumer is at and retail sales, physical store sales, obviously the last few months have uh, rebounded more than what we've seen from an e-commerce perspective because e-commerce was already comping some pretty huge numbers. Interesting. Two two topics I want to speak to. One is um, just messaging communication with customers, and the other, which is more important, which we're going to address now, is more the affluent consumer. So you're saying there's a bit of price in a, in a, in, a, in elasticity um, from, um, from from most affluent um, you know um, you know consumers. Um, I guess the question, I know it's very late for, it might be too late for, for several brands listening to, to this episode is how do you, um, you know, effectively um, just gain the trust of an affluent consumer? Because once you get that trust, you know, you, you get their loyalty. Um, so do you want to break it down with how your best in class D to C, more digital native brands are, you know, cutting through that, that noise from, I'd like to take it from a product experience standpoint down to marketing comm standpoint? Yeah. So I think, you know, what it really comes down to um, is essentially authenticity and consistency. You know, I, I have said for a long time that uh, millennials can spot a manufactured brand from a long way off, right? And so you see, are you authentic in your brand mission? Are you authentic in the brand's point of view? And then are you consistent? You know, if you say that you're a sustainable brand, if you're focused on sustainability and sourcing organic products, is that really following through in 100% of your assortment, right? Um, if you're really saying that you are designing and, and you're focused on your end consumer, does that show up in the style and the type of product, right? And then all the way through the consistency and the customer experience, um, you know, if I am a, you know, uh, size six swimwear buyer and I get my swimsuit and I love it. And then I buy another one from you and it doesn't fit the same as the first one. And then I buy another one and it doesn't fit the same. Then I've had a bad experience. And so all the way through from the authenticity and consistency and the brand positioning and the way that rolls out through marketing channels, all the way through the product experience, are you developing product for me and are you consistent in the quality and the product, the sizing, the delivery? You know, we've seen that consumers, you know, I think they understand more today having to wait a week or two weeks for something than they understood, you know, two years ago. But definitely, you know, having to wait two or three weeks for your product or going to your site and it's out of stock or the inventory is not available yet, that's not a great experience. And so, you know, really you have to focus on it across the board. Top bottom, top bottom. I, I, I see. I, 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 yeah. I'm mix, makes a, a ton of sense. And then from a communication standpoint, just going back to the fact that um, you know, um, brands are falling back on um, direct mail, and um, and obviously there, there's there's SMS, which is really growing. I hear that SMS is one of the fastest growing, um, along with with social, one of the fastest growing channels. Um, you know, closing channels um, um, as compared to you know what search used to be in, in the past. Um, how what is the mix now um, with with comms? Um, where does email sit? Um, I, um, where does SMS sit? Um, where does direct mail sit? How how best in yeah. class you know companies yeah. using communications to. I think it's really been interesting because I, I, I myself thought, you know, okay, so 
launching SMS will be a little bit like robbing from Peter to pay Paul. You know, if you build an SMS program, will it really just shift a lot of that CRM revenue that you get from email marketing? But actually, we have seen that SMS is driving significant scalable revenue uh, in addition to email, that it's not just taking a dollar from email and then converting somebody through text. So it's been great to see. And I think that's probably um, one of the most exciting new channels in the last couple of years that we've we've seen and for clients, depending on their target consumer, but especially for that under 40 consumer, SMS can quickly grow to actually be, you know, as powerful as email. Um, I think the thing that's been really interesting, um, and I think, you know, there's kind of two major, we always break everything down into customer retention and acquisition. And so what's happened is that, you know, D2C brands especially built their business on acquiring customers through the Meta platform and through Google. And now, of course, one of those platforms has been extremely challenged over the last year. So one of the things that we found is that in an effort to focus on new customer acquisition, and especially considering that we do tend to work, as I said, with premium brands, especially in high-ticket fashion and high-ticket home, we've just seen an incredible resurgence in print um, kind of escalate in the last couple of years. Um, we've definitely launched more than a few hundred D2C brands, but honestly, print's been resurging for a while. I mean, way back when we launched Revolve and Zappos and Shutterfly and Minted and One Kings Lane and Allbirds, we sat down with Joey in San Francisco, zero customers, zero funding, it wasn't even Allbirds yet. And so, you know, actually print has been resurging for a while. Um, there were definitely some early leaders in this space. Um, and I think it's because, you know, you've got... Digital marketing is more expensive than ever. The targeting and the measurement has become, you know, less effective. Uh, and so you need a new customer acquisition channel. So there's an incredible amount of square inches in real estate. So if you're trying to convince a new consumer to believe in your brand, to understand your brand, to show them your product, to understand why they should buy your product, um, you simply cannot re release, you know, replace the real estate. Um, that's for sure. And, and just as a few examples, you know, we've got a lot of wholesale brands in a fashion and, and footwear like a Birkenstock who've had, you know, just incredible success with their print program. A lot of great home brands, a lot of the emerging brands that don't have the footprint online to acquire customers online, like a Lowell Designs that's been incredible. Um, they're having great success. And then, you know, other clients like a Backcountry, right? Um, in some cases, digitally native brands are turning to print because they've basically maxed out, right, in every other channel. So if you've reached the point of diminishing return and you've maxed out in the digital channels, then, you know, like a backcountry, right, then you've got an opportunity, you know, to leverage uh, the offline channels for, for new customer acquisition. Also for CRM, you know, that's one of the things um, that I think D2C brands have a huge low-hanging opportunity um, in building out. You know, historically, you know, D2C brands are very good at using email and SMS and, yeah. and search and social to target customers, but print's also extremely effective at CRM. So um, definitely we've seen it's become, you know, we have a critical part of the mix. We have all 400 clients in the mail of Lardy Wong. So it's, uh, it's definitely continuing to be strong. So speaking to Prince, I've always wanted to ask this to 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 a, to a direct mail, you know, um, expert, um, both versatile in, in just postcards and um, actual catalogs. Um, how how do you do you take a postcards a step stepping stone, and then catalogs like you know almost you you need to run um, you know a team to to almost the same way you, you manage your e commerce catalog. You, you, you have like a print catalog, you know, management team to, yeah. to do that. What, what is the thought process there? Because I've also seen situations in which certain D2C brands, when I get their packaging, um, they have other D2C brands, postcards in their packaging, um, just saying, you know, try this out. So let's say I subscribe to wine. I'm, sure. I'm a, to a wine brand. I also get like a craft beer postcard sure. with an offer in it and it's cross-promotional. And it works. It really works. Um, but but what are your thoughts on on executing? Well, for, there's for, two for types operators? of yeah. There's two types of major kind of print out there, and there's standalone direct mail and catalogs. And then you were just referring to insert media. So yeah. I could put a flyer in you know HelloFresh's outbound packages, or I could put a flyer in Zulily's outbound packages. Um, and definitely, 
that type of insert media or shared mail has definitely had a resurgence because it used to just be value pack. And I don't know if in the UK you'd be familiar with value pack, but it was just a blue envelope with a bunch of really low ticket offers. And it was for a low ticket market. And if you were a premium brand, you did not want to be in the shared mail envelope. But now there's a lot of really premium shared mail programs. There's insert media. You can put your flyers, or I think as you were referring to it, a postcard and outbound packages. Um, That type of media can be very effective for scalable reach, very cost-effective scalable reach. But standalone direct mail and some of the pieces that I just held up, um, that is definitely more about uh, quality versus quantity, right? It's much more expensive to do standalone uh, direct mail, about 80 cents uh, to mail a full-size catalog in the U.S., including paper, printing, and postage. Um, You know, actually... Uh, unless you're a company with a hundred million dollar marketing budget selling one mattress, we really don't recommend prospecting with postcards. Um, if if <laughs> the consumer has no idea who you are, they're not going to buy from you on a postcard. So uh, mm. definitely, we use a range of you know direct mail pieces, folded pieces, and catalogs for our clients. Yeah, and and I guess with a catalog, it gives a lot more credibility. It, it's and and the the loss, the potential of just binning a catalog is lower than just a, an insert or a card, a postcard. Well, you know, what's crazy is that with a cost per click today, depending on the category, anywhere, you know, two, three dollars, the crazy thing is, is that you can mail, you know, four or five, six catalogs to a highly targeted audience for the cost of one click. So it's been kind of incredible, you know, I mean, way back when, you know, you're talking about $5 CPMs and now those CPMs are $20, $25, $30 during a holiday weekend, you know, literally the cost of digital marketing has gotten five to six times more expensive. And so um, I think that's also, you know, as the targeting has become less effective because of the Apple platform changes, as the measurement has become less effective at the same time, it's become more expensive that's why you're really beginning to see some pretty clear underperformance in the meta platform. Yes, interesting, interesting. Okay, let's let's speak to creatives and perception. You know, that, that just that initial perception of of um of of brands from from an affluent consumer. What um, are the sort of first principle? Um, you know. Um, yeah, pillars to 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 understand um, when you're taking when you're sort of briefing a creative or working with a creative, trying to select a creative, you know, team to to execute on um, for for you. Yeah, you know, the number one thing is really understanding, you know, who your target consumer is. Um, we just had an experience with one of our footwear clients. They were working um, on a on the creative for back to school. Um, but when we got the campaign creative, it was a bunch of 20 something hipsters. And we're like, I thought this was back to school for kids. And these are 20 something hipsters. We're looking for like six year olds and eight year olds and 10 year olds. And so uh, definitely, I would say that you absolutely have to know who your target consumer is. You have to know, are you targeting a young family? Are you targeting someone who's retired? Are you targeting, you know, Um, a cool urban, you know, millennial hipster, you know, who are you targeting? That is the number one most important thing is to really nail that down. Because I think what happens is that sometimes the creative folks or the product people are not communicating with each other. Um, And so that definitely kind of creates a situation where you've got the messaging is inconsistent with the audience. Mm, mm, Interesting. Very, very interesting. Right. Um, any other sort of areas, any other things to be aware of um, when sort of, you know, um, when, when trying to target an affluent, you know, consumer, what, what other areas should, should we be critical, um, you know, um, detailed in? Yeah, you know, if you're trying to sell a $300 sweater or you're trying to sell a $5,000 sofa, and the consumer doesn't know your brand, it's very hard to use a text link in search or a very small image, uh, you know, on Instagram to convince somebody to buy a $300 sweater or why, you know, the cashmere sweater category, for example, extremely competitive. Why buy your cashmere sweater versus someone else's cashmere sweater, right? 
um, or why, you know, there's so many new emerging home brands out there. There's a million options for buying, uh, you know, a sofa. Why buy that sofa? What about the construction, the quality, the guarantee, you know, the fabric? And so you really, if you're targeting an affluent consumer and you have a high ticket product, you're in high ticket fashion, high ticket footwear, high ticket home, you know, you really have to make sure that you can't, aren't just leveraging the digital channels. And that is where, you know, if you're trying to, um, like a fashion client like Air, you know, you're selling $200 jeans, um, you know, if you're not a well-known brand yet and you sell an expensive product, you know, how do you really reach that target consumer? And it's really important that you tell your story, right? You have to actually have enough real estate to convince somebody you know, to buy your product. And that's why we have a lot of fashion clients, um, you know, in the mail, because if you're a Johnny Was or a Francis Valentine or an heir, um, you've got to convince that consumer that your brand and your product is worth your price point. Interesting, interesting. I think the final um, point or the quite final question I want to ask is really around customer data. You alluded to the fact that CRMs are like very important and, um, you know, the, the Brands are starting to embrace, you know, CRMs from a targeting standpoint. You know, when you're talking about, you know, targeting affluent consumers, um, obviously you're going to be using third-party data. How are you consolidating, you know, third, zero, first-party data to, to, in, you know, in a single platform? How are the best-in-class brands doing it um, yeah. for, for, for better lifecycle marketing? Well, your own data is always your best data. So all of our clients um, have customer databases. So you know, when Mary Jane buys from you and you ship her sweater to 123 Main Street, you're beginning to build a customer database. And that customer data is the most important data, the most important asset to a company. Um, and a lot of times, you know, when we start working with a brand, honestly, you know, the D2C brands, because they've been so focused on email or so focused on SMS, they don't really understand the importance of that entire customer record. But if you really want to run, you know, sociodemographic profile data on who your customers are, you need a customer database, right? If you've had 100,000 people who bought from you, you need a database with all of your transactions for all 100,000 customers so that you can leverage external data sources to build sociodemographic profiles. I'll never forget, but um, years ago, and I mentioned the brand earlier, but I don't want to call them out now, um, we had a, uh, a high ticket fashion brand out of L.A., um, come to us and said, we want to launch a catalog. And they're like, we're targeting, you know, um, a 28-year-old woman. Um, we're like, hmm, your price points are pretty high. Usually affluence and price points, there's a correlation between age and affluence and disposable income. Uh, and actually, we got their customer profile reports back uh, and their average consumer uh, was 44 years old. So mm -hmm. she was not a 28-year-old uh, she was actually much older than that. And so it's very important to build a customer database in order to understand who your customer is. And then, of course, again, I wish, you know, sometimes you just want to, you know, shake these emerging brands, these D2C brands. The fastest way to profitability, to actual sustainable long-term growth as a business is to build your customer database. Because it costs so much money to acquire a customer. It costs more today than ever before to acquire a customer. And there's a million challenges and it's very expensive and very competitive and saturated. You've spent all this money, right? An investment to acquire a customer. In order to be profitable, you've got to drive downstream revenue. You've got to drive lifetime value. In order to drive lifetime value, you've got to lean into you know five channels for CRM. You've got to lean into product category expansion. You have to continue to communicate with these consumers across all of those channels. It's not enough to just rely on one or two channels to communicate with a consumer. Based on our best estimates at this point, Mary Jane could be your customer and you could target her on Facebook. But the reality is, is that you've got about an 18% chance of reaching her when you want to reach her. And so you cannot rely on only a few channels to get through to your customers. And so but that is the fastest way to profitability is to really lean into the health and the growth of the customer files, CRM, marketing across categories, all that great stuff. What, what, what CRM platforms are you most excited for for, for e-commerce? You know, it's really interesting. I will say we have 
probably 85% of our clients on Shopify, Shopify Plus. You know, it's interesting. We don't see, because of the reporting coming out of Shopify, because of the ease of pulling customer data out of Shopify, we don't see a lot of clients really investing in huge customer databases until Mm -hmm. they're quite sizable. And then we see them build the customer databases. But honestly, um, you know, we can get to a lot of what we need to help understand who the customer is to build the models, um, you know, to pull and identify who to target, you know, even in platforms like Shopify. Um, So I think that is actually, I I know that there's always uh, a lot of pros and cons, but um, most of our clients are still using Shopify and I would say they're using it successfully overall. Yeah, and and, and it's quite easy to export, you know, all of that data into. It is very easy. It takes about fifteen minutes for someone to go in and to be able to export their customer database at the address level. It's true disruption because when I started this podcast, um, Magento was a thing for for mid market retail um, or e commerce, and um, yeah, I just saw the the changing of guard, you know, um, in seventeen eighteen to to Shopify. Um, with with the Shopify Plus, um, you know, um, solution. Magento so, just made it too hard to do too many things. It so. did. It was, yeah, very, very user-friendly. Anyway, we could go on and on and on. Um, I, I think I've learned something. Bel- Belradi Wong is the um, agency for Silicon Valley, you know, D2C brands as well as, you know, bigger, bigger brands. Um, but, but yeah, we'll leave that conversation to another day. Um, but yeah, um, thank you so much, Polly. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, um, getting to know more about you and um, and the agency. Um, for people who want to find out more um, about you and um, and and, and Belwadi Wong, um, what, what are the best um, you know places um, on, online, of course. Yeah, well, if you uh, if you go to blardywong.com and hit the contact us button, it's uh, pretty easy. I I will respond, um, and also of course feel free to reach out to me. Uh, on LinkedIn directly. I'm always happy to connect with folks. Thank you so much for having uh, me today. I enjoyed our conversation and I hope you have a great week. A pleasure, a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.